Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You figured out early on what it is you wanted to show up for. And I think that's both a blessing and a curse, right? You've been doing this for God knows how many years, decades, 20 plus years. I know. Can you believe that? Let me ask you this, though. You mentioned a lot of things you like about the job. Do you think there's anything inside of you which is addicted to having a relevant voice? There's many voices out there, and the voices change. Yours has stayed consistent through the years and the decades. Do you ever get addicted to, like, I want to still be, I need to be still one of those top voices in the space? This is really important. I do like that people like what I do. And at one point, my wife just said, do you like what you do? How about you? Forget the verification. That's terrific. But do you like it? And will you always like it? Will you always want to work this hard? As long as I enjoy it, I'm going to keep doing it. And she said, well, what happens if you stop enjoying it? And I come back and say, then I will pivot. So I have Jim Kramer on the show. Jim, we've known each other 16 years now. It's all been good, James. I was telling my wife, Lisa, I said, I get to see you. And you always bring great joy because you're a, a tremendous spokesperson for the work that I've done. And I hope that I that you feel the same. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny. I, um, I wonder how you'd react to this. So I had this uh, podcast with Dr. Oz the other day. And a lot of people have you know, say both good and bad things about him. And we all have experienced that. But my philosophy I learned from you, which is that, look, if you have to go on TV and 250 days a year, you know, give positive advice to people directly so they don't have to go to, you know, fund managers or brokers or everybody trying to sell them some mm-hmm. some product. They could just directly be in charge of their financial health or in, in, in Duraz's case, medical health. If you say stuff 250 days a year, some days you're just going to be wrong. But the basic idea is you're trying to tell people 
do it yourself. And this is, they're watching you in action while you do it yourself. Well, uh, look, um, I had, it, we didn't know this, but I had dinner with Dr. Oz Saturday night. You're kidding. I mean, no, that, not this. Did you guys just center. talk about me the whole time? Uh, yes, it was really, <laughs> we were obsessed with you. Uh, we talked about what you just said, which is the notion of taking control of your life, being really smart about it. Uh, and I find him to be a fount of, of fabulous information. Yeah. And I met him because he's a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And he was a, a longstanding one. He's going to some games with me. Uh, and so we were sitting at uh, the same table with uh, for Jeff Lurie, the owner's uh, friends and family party. And I was wrapped, as usual, because he's got so many things at his fingertips. He was discussing with me uh, the uh, cogency of the of the J.P. Morgan Berkshire Hathaway Amazon uh, coalition to try to get healthcare costs in, in line and mentioned to me that, for instance, your copay, you may pay $10 for a uh, copay on for some pills, but maybe they only charge, maybe they only got charged 93 cents and they're making a huge amount of money in copay. I, I just use that as an example of how he wants you to take control of your life. And I, I just find him to be delightful and smart and exciting and, and just filled with life. And 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 I agree. I actually thought I and I really like both yours and his and many people's philosophy of let's take out the 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 middleman structure ecosystem that is basically you know raised fees a thousand percent, given bad advice constantly, but like have brainwashed us into thinking this is the correct advice because it's part of the system. And yet people are going to still criticize you or Dr. Oz or other people and say, oh, one day out of 250, he said this, and then the stock went down. Oh, I know. And look, the overriding thesis of of Dr. Oz is empowerment. I think yours as well with stocks and financial information. Absolutely. Can I make mistakes? I mean, I was going over today. Um, I was telling people to buy Cimerex ahead of, well, not ahead of the quarter, but it's an oil company and they guided down and you just, you, in a snapshot, I'm an idiot. I said, buy Cimerex. Now I'm over, I, and I use that as an example because there is this, what have you done for me lately thing? It, it's only what have you done for me lately? Because the people who are happy, know. they don't call you and say we're happy, but the people who are mad, they're all over Twitter, oh, absolutely uh, everything. True. They're writing yes. you letters. And, and you have to take it. You have to be like um, a rhino. How do you, how long do you think it took you to build that thick skin? Oh, I would say probably almost 30 years. (laughs) I had to be. It's hard, right? It's not as easy as people say, oh, I don't care what they think. Oh, you you do do care. And I'll tell you what your Achilles heel is. It's your kids. See, my kids would be upset about something was said about me. And so even though I might have like a coat of armor, it's just stripped away when your kids are upset. But what I end up doing is say, okay, I'm going to get up every day. I'm going to put my clothes on and I'm going to go to work. And even though it might hurt, I'll still work as opposed to say it doesn't hurt. Right. I'll just say, listen, it hurts, but I'm just going to keep going um, because that's what I know to do. And if you take solace in that, in the solace in the idea that you're going to show up a la Woody Allen, uh, it's your best defense. So, so, so let me ask you that about showing up. Like you figured out early on, what it is you wanted to show up for. And I think that's uh, both a blessing and a curse, right? Because you've been doing this for God knows how many years, decades, 20 20 plus years with thestreet.com alone. I know, can you believe that? 22 years this year with the street and still isn't really as known as I'd like, but you were always instrumental in in supporting uh, the institution and me with the idea that we were trying to do something different trying to make sense of stock prices for individuals, trying to make it so that they were stronger, whether they were a client 
are stronger rather than do it yourself because knowledge is indeed power. Um, but knowledge is also a dislike. Uh, there was a, something that happened uh, recently in, with the SIBO and these options on the VIX. And so a whistleblower came forward and hired a lawyer and said, look, they saw manipulation. And immediately CBO, the CBO, CBOE, puts out a note saying the person doesn't is ill-informed and doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, and I was saying to myself, please, let's hear the guy out first. Yeah. Maybe the guy has a story to tell um, because a lot of people lost a lot of money. And I want to know why. Uh, I don't want to know. You know I want I have a, the public's interest is what my interest is. And I've always felt that because I don't play for dinner, an NFL term, meaning that I am not the marginal player who has to compromise themselves in order to be able to get on the field. I, I Look, I, I have the staying power. And I have staying power, fortunately, because I didn't start with money, but I did okay. And, and I can try to tell the truth for people. And that the truth, knowledge, these all matter. Now, the truth is, is kind of become a fungible issue with the way the politics is these days. But I know that what I'm re- I know what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is say, this is what pros do. And I'm trying to do that for a fraction of the cost of uh, what the pros would charge. Right. So, so you know, there's there's kind of two ends to that. So one is so many people are saying, well, how could I figure out what, what my truth is, what the truth is that I want to express? Because you've obviously, by having that core truth early on, you've ha- had an amazing career. And then at the end of it, not at the end of the career, but just where we are now, why continue to do it? Now you can say, oh, because I love it and I'm obsessed with it. There's many things to do in life. Like, are you happy after well, all these years? Walk. Okay, so my wife and I, because I just turned 63. Um, Congratulations, I just turned 50. You. Oh my God, okay, then these are these are milestones where you have to, where whether you like it or not, you assess. Yes. And uh, my wife's theme, Lisa's theme this weekend was, uh, I was with a friend who is at a law firm. And in a law firm, they retire you. So in other words, it's not your choice. Uh, and the 67 is the retired age. And my friend was saying, how great, how liberating, because you don't have to decide, they decide for you. So then you can go teach, then you can go travel. My father-in-law retired in his 50s and he travels and he he sees the world and he is very involved with Hispanic outreach and he spends a lot of time in charity and helping a, a hospital system by being on the board. He worked at JP Morgan before and he's got great expertise. And I'm like trying to figure out, well, wait a second. My dad was 92 when he died. He was selling boxes and bags to retailers. He was selling doggy bags to restaurants. And he died in November. And he had a huge month in October. He had a huge month. And that's me. And it's very antithetical to my wife because she's saying, listen, we have this great house now overseas. And we could spend all the time we want uh, doing whatever we want, seeing things, reading things, you know, uh, not caring. I take a whole month off. And and I see, I keep coming back and say, well, my dad had a big month and he was really happy when he died. You know, no one wants to die. Obviously, well, I mean, some people, you, there's people who have different ethoses, but the in general, he was happy because he worked. And I have that same skein of thought. Now, my friend who's at the, reti- at the firm, the law firm, he was saying that I have a depression mentality. I think that's correct. And that is not far from home. Right, right. not knowing you that much in the past few years, but 
just all the time you're thinking you're you you have anxiety about what's going on yes. around the world and in your life and absolutely uh, and I, I i when he said that i said undeniably so and we were funny because we were playing a game of hearts which is one of my absolute i love playing great games, games. Yeah. shooting the moon oh my god my wife shot the moon and we stopped we had been playing for three hours she shot the moon and my friend was like just he was so he didn't see it coming he was so angry he throws yeah throws the cards down so your wife, the most calm person who just wants to relax oh, and travel, uh, takes a lot of calculation to shoot the moon. And she's <laughs> just saying, look, yeah, what matters is happiness. And I, the Dalai Lama says that too, like what matters is happiness. And I said, well, don't do that because that is the determinant. I'm going to keep working like my dad because my work makes me happy. And she was saying, no, you're obsessed. Uh, what you would be happy with is whatever you choose to do. And if it were to go to Tuscany for a month and go to Mexico for a month, you'd be happy. And I came back and said, look, I, I, I just, one of those rare people, I got fortunate, fortunate in that I like my jobs. I like my employer and, and there, I like the creativity of it. And, and as long as I can do it, I want to keep doing it. Uh, but she said, well, you have a good support staff and, uh, if the support staff decided that they had had enough, what would happen? I said, well, we'd have to reassess. That's what you, when uh, cross that bridge when it, when it happens. So, so you know, it's an interesting thing, though, because uh, maybe you would be happy. You have so much energy and knowledge. Maybe you would be happy doing other things like teaching or writing more. You know, your first book. Uh, Confessions. Yeah, Confessions. Oh, Still my. one of the classic investment books of all time. You're a great writer. You could be Thank doing more you. writing instead of just the daily commentary on the news. Uh, have you ever considered like kind of making a shift? Well, that's one-on-one -on -one teaching, basically. You're teaching a small group. I feel like I got this classroom, and the classrooms the people who watch Mad Money. Mad Money's the prize for me. Uh, we write. Uh, that's about nine thousand words a day. Which, mm, if you true. think about it, anyone who's doing in college. I, uh, you realize that that might be what you do for a semester. Uh, it is frenetic, um, but we, I, I don't have it this week because I'm, I'm preempted by curling, uh, which is a great sport. In the Olympics. But, but what I think, for the Olympics, but what I think, I see stories. I mean, I, have, I just see stories and I want to tell them. And I just assume tell them to the camera as a classroom because the people I work with are so amazing and they're so exciting. They're young people. They're filled with energy. They energize me. I finished the show between 6 and 6.15 because we tape it. It's called Live to Tape and runs at 6. Uh, and I'm always thrilled. I mean, then I do a big I do a big download of how we could have done it better. Uh, and then it's a challenge. But I just do love it now. But then you do. Nice I also see you do networking dinners. Like, you'll, I know, you don't stop oh with the God. show. No, and I keep going out to dinners with CEOs and trying to learn all the time but i like to i like to learn uh i've not i have not been adept at like you like i should have been learning cryptocurrency i should always be learning new things i remember in 1989 someone came up to me and said, you should be trading coffee futures so i did a crash course in coffee futures and did terrible and i said no i got something i really like i like stocks uh and, and i at that point i was also trading more bonds uh bonds had a lot of volatility but i I love stocks, and this is the best way to love them, what I do now. Let me ask you this, though. You mentioned a lot of things you like about the job, but do you think there's anything inside of you which is addicted to having a relevant voice? So you, there's many voices out there, and the voices change. Yours has stayed consistent through the years and the decades. 
Do you ever get addicted to like, I want to still be, I need to be still one of those top voices in the space. I wow. still need the fans. Wow. Okay, this is really important because uh, on a one-on-one, so I went to the, I went to the Eagles uh, Patriots game, the Super Bowl. And when you do that, you're with your wife. And at one point, my wife just said, you're really into the adulation. Because said, people were coming up to right. you. And I said, well, I'm into the kindness. She goes, no, you're into the adulation. You get a kick out of it. And I said, well, I do like that people like what I do. And she goes, but, you know, do you like what you do? do you, how about you? Forget the verification. That's terrific. But do you like it? And will you always like it? Will you always want to work this hard? And I came back with what she thought was a very short-sighted uh, thought, which I said, I like it now. She goes, no, no, no. Really thoughtful people will think, okay, that adulation is not working for working on what I really, it's not going to last forever. Um, nothing lasts forever. What's plan B? What else do you want to do? And uh, she felt that my avoidance of the topic uh, was, I don't want to say shallow because that's too pejorative, but someone would have heard the conversation and said, my wife's deep, I'm shallow. And I'm really cognizant of that because she is. Uh, she's much more thoughtful about the future than I am. Uh, because I'm saying, hey, it's a good ride. And I look at it a little more like sports, which is, hey, listen, as long as I can not be Willie Mays, but throw it from the center from center field, as long as uh, I enjoy it, I'm going to keep doing it. And she said, well, what happens if you stop enjoying it? And I come back and say, then I will pivot. But uh, it, it, but uh, part of doing the show is if people come up to you, it's great. I said, these people, only, I only have a show because these people come up to me. Now, periodically, someone will be rude. I'm just, someone was rude the other night. What'd they say? People. Well, they throw a camera at someone or mm. they throw a camera at my wife or mm. what's the worst one is if they throw a camera at my daughters. Mm. Say, listen, take it. Uh, take a picture of me and your father. Take a picture of me and your husband. And it's like not please and not whatever. And it's awkward and, and it's not right. Mm. Uh, but and, and like someone came up to me at a bar a couple of nights ago and said, I'm, I was busy. I was having a cocktail. I was having a Lagavulin. It was really just a nice moment. And the guy says, so what do you think of the tenure? And I said, well, I actually like to say good evening and how are you? And he said, yeah, but the tenure. And I, I just stopped. I says, the tenure's fun. And I have another sip of my drink. And I realized he's probably a nice guy. And he was just making a joke. So I turned to him. I said, you know, I'm much more into Amazon. You know, I'm not really telling you guys. He goes, Yes, yes, I like Amazon very much. I work at a, a big investment firm in Baltimore, and I, I just saw you, and I really wanted to talk to you, and I'm sorry if I was rude. And it's like, no, no, you weren't rude. I just wasn't ready for you, and I'm sorry. And, uh, and, and then I felt great. We had a great 20-minute conversation while I was waiting for my guest, uh, all about uh, Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and about the greatness of American ingenuity and whether one, you know, the notion of overweighting one versus not, you know, portfolio speak. And I liked it. So, Jim, I know you liked it. I and, did. But I'm going to take your, your wife's sure. point of view for a second. I don't, I don't you know, I, I don't mean to. No, indirectly. but remember, I'm telling you she's got the high ground. Right, maybe. But let's just also look at it in a different way. One is... She's saying you like that adulation, you know, the, the people coming up to you. Right. Sure, you had a great intellectual conversation with him, but you didn't know him. You didn't know it would be an intellectual conversation. You didn't know. It would be, it, you felt good because he came up to you for advice. I'm just saying. No, no, and, no. So and, far the narrative's right. And, and, but what your wife is also asking you, 
are you choosing this in the long term over me? You know, she's asking you, is the adulation you're getting better than going to Mexico or Tuscany with me? And that's a little bit of what she's asking you. Yes, it is. Uh, and my kids are not asking me. My kids are telling me, Dad, when you're with me, you're with me. Uh, when I'm with my daughter in Oregon, my daughter wants me to speak lowly because my voice is recognizable. <laughs> and to wear a hat, you know, if I wear a hat and sunglasses, even better. We try to go to places where it's inconceivable and anyone would know me because there's not a lot of cable out in Oregon. Because she said, Dad, it's cherished time. We, I, I cherish it. Let's not share it with others who, frankly, have nothing to do with us and really are not special um, versus you and me because we don't get to see each other much because we're in Oregon. And that's that's checkmate. I mean, a willing checkmate. I, right. I, I, how great it is that that at 26, she still wants to be with me. I can't believe uh, your daughter's 26. I know, I know, I know. They were little when we first started working together. But my daughter's right, and my wife is right. Uh, and I, when I say right, it, it means that I am to some degree wrong. I come back and say, it's just as easy to be nice to be mean. Like, you know, I'm going to be nice to someone if they come up to me, and even with the fellow that I talked about with a tenure. But then we go back to, again, what my uh, eldest says, which is, Dad, Get serious about your life and stop thinking, does that person like me? Mm. Stop wanting to be liked. It's a worthless pursuit. She works at a, uh, she works in the mental health field, working with troubled youths uh, as a re at a residential uh, facility. And she said, the people I work with are uh, struggling, obviously, uh, and, uh, but my life's meaningful. And, you know, I want you to have a meaningful life. I, I'm trying to help people and you're trying to help people financially, but I want you to be more. I, I, I think there's more to life than doing a show. And I said, well, look, I love you. I love your sister. I love my wife. I love all my cousins. I love my sister. And, and he said, well, yeah, but like, you have to say it. You have to say it. I mean, it should just be, uh, you don't have to say it when it's, when you're protesting too much it, and, and, yeah, look, I, I, I don't know. I'm a, there are many levels, James, that I'm problematic, okay? And you're hitting on problematic, but, it's, but it doesn't bother me to talk about it. But, uh, but I know I'm problematic on this. And, and so then we come back to the depression era and my father, okay? And maybe the, the adulation or, or the scorn, because I've had that too, uh, it, it comes with the territory, but it's the territory of, being, of having the psychological fulfillment of working. Right. And now I love vacation. I absolutely love vacation. Uh, but at the end of my vacation, I, I almost always want to go back to work. Uh, I feel recharged and I'm ready. Uh, there are some vacations that are too quick and it's not like that. But for the most part, uh, it's okay. That was fabulous. And now let's hit it. And that's me. I, I, that does, It's never like, oh my God, I got to go back. It, it, it's when I say never, I mean, it's the rare times. Uh, and the rare times tend to be vacations that are huge sightseeing on the road at get up at seven. Uh, <laughs> so it's still a high energy, yes, high impact yes. vacation. And, you don't lie on the beach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, we're going to Tuscany next week and we're going to go to, we're going to have two museum days, but the other days are going to be just to read around the fire mm -hmm. because uh, my wife says I need recharging. Uh, and she said, when you're finished, you'll be ready. And, and so I look at the vacations and, uh, as interludes between work, uh, I'm not there yet to look at the vacations as being why you work. Right. And and I get that. Look, the, it's one thing for everybody to say, you like the adulation, 
and all that stuff. But look, you've been doing this for 30 years. So there's, it's in your brain. Your brain is wired for yes, it. Yes, it is. You're looking at each person on the street and they're looking at you and you know they recognize you. So, and it's, it feels good. Your brain's wired to think that way. Right. You and, can't and, just rewire. No, I can't. But how would you, let's say you decided, okay, a move towards happiness would be not necessarily rewiring, but a move towards rewiring. How would you start that process? Okay, uh, I would probably have to give up mad money. Well, that's an extreme. What would be okay. a smaller step than that? Um, a smaller step, I think, would just say, okay, guys, I get six weeks off, all right? So this is a week I'm taking off. Um, uh, and, and it's just tough that you need me this week. That's what I'm going to do. Instead, I take far less time off. Uh, I would also, I think, uh, to a certain extent at the street, Say, guys, look, I'm not going to write the three to four pieces a day and the 15 videos. I'm going to do stuff, but um, it has to be at a different pace. And I don't want to do the administrative because the administrative really upsets me. And I think that that would be the way. The administrative Although, is worrisome. I feel like you've been saying that for 10 years. <laughs> well, I think that you'd be right. And that's the flaw in my life right now. And so, so again, even a smaller step then. Because you, you, you've been saying this, so that's so it's too big a step for you to do. Well, I, I haven't been able to do it. I, I Look, I always am hopeful that we have such a big organization so good that they wouldn't be as dependent on me, and it's a bit they, but, but I love to write. Yeah. See, that's one of the things I've always loved to write. I remember when my late mom, she was dying of cancer, and I was at Goldman Sachs, and I came home one night. I said, I had the biggest month, blah, 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 blah. I made this, this, this. And she said to me, it was probably two months before she died. She goes, you used to be a writer. You used to be creative. She was in this period of tremendous clarity where she was quite um, uh, affirmative about her stances in life. And she goes, you know, it's shameful. It's shameful that you wanted to be creative and now you're not. Promise me one day you'll be creative. Well, I gave up the money management business and, I write every day and I love it. I mean, I wrote a piece this morning. I got up really, I got up at 3.30 and I wrote this piece about protecting the public and why the SEC has to step up because the ICE, the CBO, all these exchanges, they're not going to like say, hey, we're going to protect the public. They're profit-making institutions. And the CBO, if the pe there are people who want double and triple ETFs to lever up and borrow money, the CBO is not going to say, you know what, that's not in the public's interest. It's the government. So it was kind of a, a, a forceful piece about how the SEC has to rethink what they've done with these pieces of paper because they're hurting people. And I finished it at 6.15 and I filed it. And I said to, I went up to my, to Lisa who was sleeping and I said, I just did a piece I really like. And she said, yeah. I said, no, it's really important about protecting the public. And she was and, and, I said, you don't understand. And she goes, no, I don't. And I'm trying to sleep. And I said, okay, okay, okay. But uh, it made me happy. And she goes, I'm so good. You're happy. And then I went to work. But it was a piece that I really liked. And so, I was 600, it was 670 words. And I thought I read, did it a bunch of times. Um, and I said, oh, this is good. This is good. And I was really excited about it. And as long as I'm still excited about this good sign, it wasn't drudgery. Right. I thought it really made it a point. Now, there'll be very few people who read it. But I feel good about writing. So so let's go hardcore into that for a sure. second. So, so much money has gone into ETFs and institutional money. Retail investors are not 
out there like they were in the 90s or even no. the OOs. So it's so easy for financial institutions to create these products like the XIV and then derivatives on them that are totally illiquid, but playing those derivatives will completely manipulate the entire market. Is there a way... So, so the market is manipulated in that sense. That there's a few players and a few financial instruments with not as much liquidity as you would like that can manipulate how the entire universe thinks about the market. And so, is there a way to actually regulate that or slow it down? They always try. You know, let's stop. You know, let's regulate. You know, collateralize mortgage derivatives. Let's let's start regulating other financial innovations. But always, there's the next thing. Well, I always hope that the Fed, which controls margin, would say, "You need 100% margin to do." That would be great. Or it should be off board, meaning there shouldn't be something that's so accessible to the public that you can make a deal with Morgan on the VIX or Goldman. Uh, but the SEC abdicated its job when it said that these are pieces of paper that are basically sophisticated, and that's fine. I mean, to me, these are pieces of paper that should be stickered like tobacco. I mean, this yeah. can really hurt people. It settles every day. People think it's a great way to hedge. It's not a great way to hedge. Obviously, when things go wrong, uh, volatility turns out not to be an asset. Turns out it's not an asset. Right. I mean, until this happened, there was a oh, volatility. It's like gold and real estate. It's right, like, there's oh, no actual settlement. No, it's nothing. And so um, I, I think, and you use the term manipulation. And so I use that. And then you know, the people who create these instruments say, oh, Kramer doesn't know what he's talking about. And you know, that is the one I really hate. Because like Kramer actually does know what he's talking about. Not to be third, speaking third person, but you and I both correctly, you correctly, I think entirely summarize the entire debacle that is the VIX. And I listened to you and I said, James agrees with me. And James also has the same interests at heart, which is the public. I mean, we're not trying to, we don't want to gain fees on these. We are not vested in the profit motive, right. like the institutions, some institutions are. We're thinking about did anyone know that these were going to blow you up? Now, if you go back to the original SEC rulings on the double and triple, they said, well, look, the market's really deep and they can't be manipulated because the market's really deep. Well, the markets are nowhere near as deep as when they first did the original research. Um, and they said that the public would be very smart about it. There's no indication that the public's smart about public's it. Public's not in the market. The right. ETFs are in the market. Right. So, I mean, I think that what we've, uh, what you and I, it's readily apparent to us, uh, but not to the interested parties and not to the government, that somebody's getting hurt. And what I want to do, my ethos has always been the same, which is that stocks are the greatest uh, wealth creator of all time. Although Bitcoin is obviously in the last, you could say in the last 24 months, yeah. has certainly beat it. I'm not denying that. But stocks over the long term have been great. And you fall back on a Jeremy Siegel now since he does thorough work. And uh, But I've seen junctures where people get blown out. And uh, so therefore they're earning, uh, say, 1% or 2% on their cash. And they're living much longer than they used to. So they're using parallels that say we should be in cash at the age of 64. And that's not, no, it's you, the, the longevity tables, the actuarial tables say that you're going to need a bigger retirement money. And if you didn't invest in the stock market over the long term, I, I fear you'll run out. And when you run out in an age when healthcare costs so much, you can be, um, you can really be hurt. And I don't want that. Uh, and I think that, as we mentioned, Dr. Oz, uh, Dr. Oz talking about empower empowerment, he's a guy who is uh, always talking about longevity, how people can, you know, lead their lives longer and be taking charge of their lives. But if you don't have any money, he once told me the leading 
a cause of bankruptcy is healthcare. The leading cause, not bad investing, whatever. So you've got to like make sure you have enough money. You got to make sure you have enough healthcare, and you've got to be sure that you don't get out of the market and substitute into something that's one percent, so you can't pay for the healthcare and go bankrupt. What do you think is the you know? And I know this is this question has many answers, but let's say you live in middle America. What's the number to retire? Or, or wow. to not retire, but at least not worry about your future years and the future longevity of, of people? Um, if you're in away from the coast, uh, I could see that you might have uh, the wherewithal uh, on a million dollars for 10 years. 10 years, but now people are living 30 or 40 I, years I more. No, no, I, I worry about the wherewithal because I mean, you, know, you do have Social Security, but it's, it's not that much. And, and how many people healthcare. have a million it's dollars? It's healthcare. Yeah. It's healthcare. If there were no issues in healthcare, uh, and obviously there's Medicare, you can you know get by and stuff. But my father had the VA, he had Medicare, but he kept working. But a million dollars for you know a hundred thousand dollars a year is a lot of money. But if you put away money in your twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, which nobody 60s, does, we're at a one percent savings rate. Nobody does. Uh, so what happens is people have to keep working. Yeah. And you know, so we go back to the issue of work. Uh, not everybody has satisfying work, and but they have to work longer than they thought. That's the big change. Let me ask you this because, and this is going to be a naive question, but if healthcare costs are the problem, what if we simply, and this is just abstract thinking, what if we simply did away with the FDA, which would drive down the costs of all the major drugs that help the obscure diseases the elderly get? Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Every podcast I do is so personal and special to me. The podcast is all about how people can be better performers, even peak performers at whatever it is they're passionate about. So help people discover this podcast. Help me, help the listeners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can also check out the show notes at jamesaltitude.com slash podcast. And also, if you want to get my blog updates and other updates that I do, sign up for the newsletter at jamesaltitude.com. Once again, thanks so much for joining me 
on the journey of this podcast. Let me ask you this because, and this is going to be a naive question, but if healthcare costs are the problem, what if we simply, and this is just abstract thinking, what if we simply did away with the FDA, which would drive down the costs of all the major drugs that help the obscure diseases the elderly get? Okay, well, you know, that's what they do in China. And uh, they accept, they have acceptable loss rate of people Mm -hmm. who die. And that's not our culture. Right. Uh, But they get more health care to people. So they, uh, I have a friend, uh, my wife's cousin, who came up with a device that you can put a drop of blood uh, on a a Petri dish, whatever, and detect a lot of different cancers. Uh, And he thinks it's really great. And they're looking at it, Mount Sinai, and looking at it, Sloan Kettering. And he goes to Shanghai. And they immediately adopt it uh, at the hospitals. Now, why do they adopt the hospitals? It's really interesting. The hospitals have 500,000 people each, patients a year. 500,000 people. Mm. So they're willing to say, you know what, we just got to use it. And he said, well, you know, it's not approved yet by the FDA. They want to have two, three years of study. And the Chinese said, well, we can't afford that. We have people dying all the time from cancer. We got to put it to work. And if it's got some false positives, so be it. But, you know, we got to do this to save people's lives. And their imperative is different from ours. But I kind of agree with their imperative to some degree because it does cost three to four billion dollars to bring a drug to market. And, and many we, people will die during those three to four yes, years anyway from those diseases. Yes. And you, so you end up with these people, these drug tests where you have to get people who are about to die to use the to test the drug. So even the studies are hard to put together because people keep dying. And it costs two billion dollars to get through a drug yes, through the $2 FDA. Two billion dollars, and I just they think, have to pay that back with high costs. So then you get into the four hundred thousand dollars a year, five hundred thousand dollars a year, ex- you know, for the uh, orphan drugs, which are obviously is this drain on the system. But then again, if it was your kid, see if it was your kid, it's really I go to difficult. China with my kid. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> Um, China, I think, is doing many things right to be able to help the most people. And uh, the Chinese, the government is is obviously a million people dying a year of respiratory illnesses. So they're like panicked on that. They don't want revolution. Yeah. But uh, I do think that when my cousin went over, my, my wife's cousin went over there, he was shocked. Um, but then when they said, listen, there's 500,000 people. We got to we need a cancer test now. Um, we don't have the time to do three years worth of studying and have all these people dying. And he said, well, that is actually right. That's right. And my test is good enough to detect breast cancer. And, and it's kind of monumental in the way that the two societies to live, uh, think about the issue. So, so, you know, every couple of years you've been doing a book, it's always a great book on educating the population. Plus there's your initial book, which is the classic. Uh, what's... What's next? Project I want next. to do this book for millennials about investing. Mm. There you came across that issue of like, how do you manage your time? Uh, I'm working harder than ever. My wife does not want me to do the book. because yeah, How do you manage your time? You do uh, I keep books, earlier, writing. Earlier and earlier. And I, I have been cutting into a lot of time. We went out last night for Valentine's Day. And we got back at nine o'clock. And I said, I have to read the Cisco conference call and I have to read the Applied Materials Conference call. I have to study international flavors and fragrances. She says, stop. Stop. You're going to bed. Okay. And I said, no. She says, okay, well, you're going to read it in bed and you're going to fall asleep. I said, no. 
I am going to sit here and I will come upstairs after I read the AMAC call. And she said, how many AMAC calls have you been on? And I said, well, what does that have to do with anything? I, I got one tonight. And David Faber may turn to me and say, well, what did you think about applied materials? Because oh, so that's what you do. You do it for David Faber. I said, no. See, I she's do asking it for about myself. herself there too. Right, right, right. About myself and her. You were, you were choosing David Faber over her. Exactly. And that's how she, she came down at the end. She goes, the show's not the thing. I mean, you know, you may be insecure and feel like you need to talk about Cisco. Uh, I interviewed the Boeing CEO. She goes, but yeah, we just had a really nice dinner. Now let's go up. Maybe we'll watch something together. And, and I said, I didn't snap at her. I said, I really can't do that. So I came up an hour later. She was asleep. And she goes, I woke her up. And I said, well, you know, I really had a nice time at dinner. She goes, oh, I'm really glad you did. I had a good time too. Uh, because I didn't want to go to bed on the, uh, a, sure. in a, an attitude of confrontation because I don't like to do that. And because and my wife's great. And uh, we ended up, and she goes, did you get all the things you feel good about tomorrow? Are you, do you feel confident? And I said, yes, I feel confident. She goes, okay, that's very good. And I'm sorry if I, you know, just was saying don't do your homework. I said, look, I'm sorry that I did my homework, but I know that I'll be happier tomorrow. And she goes, well, it's kind of a shame. It's a kind of a shame that, at 63, you come home from a really nice dinner and you immediately sit at the kitchen table and you start reading the conference call of Boeing. So, and I said, but I'm fascinated by the CEO of Boeing and Dennis Molenberg, and he deserves everything. He deserves uh, the respect that I have to show by doing the homework. So, 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 so I'll give you a technique um, that I read written by a young man named Jim Cramer about uh, 10 years ago or so. You wrote, I think in your, your third book, you were describing how to do a lightning round. And you basically said, if someone asks a question about a company that you don't know 100% about, you'll know enough about other companies in the space, plus you'll have an opinion on the space, that you'll be able to direct it down into that other company, into this space. You could always do that. None of the listeners will know. David Faber won't know. And you'll be still giving good advice. But I'll know. You'll know. I'll know. You'll know. And, and there's the CEO, Dennis Mullenberg, or, or uh, Chuck Robbins, who's my friend. I'm not about friends, but about money. But he's a, that's what I said at the beginning of the show. But Chuck's a huge Falcon fan. So when the Eagles beat the Falcons, and we joke a lot. He went to UNC. UNC looks hot. So we talk about sports. But uh, Chuck had a really good quarter. And Kelly Kramer is the CFO. And she's fat K, K, not C. Uh, and they're fabulous. And Chuck said, listen, I want to come on the show. Well, that was just total turmoil for me because I had everything. All my time was going to be spent doing the homework on Boeing. Mm. Um, so then I have to pivot and do Boeing and then Cisco. And then it turns out that Cisco is really hard because they have this 9,000 switch. It's called the CAT 9000. And I'm like frantically like emailing people. Tell me how the CAT 9000 works. And I'm Googling the CAT 9000. It's a campus switch. Well, what does that mean? Kimball? Well, it's a wide-ranging enterprise switch. Well, yeah, but I want to know how I ask a question. And, and then the red light goes on and I'm not ready. I'm not ready about the campus switch. So then I decided to talk about deferred revenue and software and the need to be able to get away from a white box and have a sophisticated company like Cisco come in. And I, at the end, I did the interview and I turned to David. I said, no, no, didn't do a good job. And he goes, why do you say that? I said, well, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I don't know. Ready. It sounds like you're pretty I wasn't ready. ready. <laughs> now, well, you raised a good point, which is the people know. And, um, Chuck knew. I think Chuck, I think he did, thought I did a good job. The fact now, Lisa would say, does it really even matter that he thinks you did a good job? 
do you think you did a good job? And I would come back and say, I could have done a better job, but I couldn't have done a better job on Boeing. I asked, I got everything, including the Elon Musk question I wanted, uh, which I said is Musk the greatest promoter and you're the greatest operator. I got a great story that he told about how the rocket has got to be 36 stories high to reach Mars. And I, I really liked the interview. When I finished the interview, I turned to Debbie and said, we nailed it. And he goes, yeah, we nailed it. And I saw I was one for two. Well, uh, Jim, it's always a pleasure. Oh, don't stop yet. To... I got some other stuff to ask you. <laughs> okay, well, well, let me ask you a question. What did sure. he say? Was was Elon Musk the greatest promoter? Uh, he said that we're the greatest operator. He didn't really. He said that some people are very good at telling the story. Well, um, because a lot of the, the Elon Musk companies, there's sort of a welfare system in place. Like either the government is subsidizing it or he's subsidizing. Like he brings Solar City into the Tesla umbrella because maybe that's going to lose its welfare from the right. government. So... I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Like the power of charisma is worth billions of dollars. Yes. It, and it's interesting because he had the rocket go off and then the next day he reported. And the first question on the call was about the rocket because the rocket was mesmerizing. And I, we all watched it. Everybody watched it. And it was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, I also had the earnings. All right, we're losing a lot of money. But how about the rocket? And, and it was a diversion. And then yeah. I decided it was a diversion that the timing was such that he even wanted it to be a diversion. And I, and I think that that's, maybe that's too harsh. It could be because I always think if a company is doing too many positive press releases right before earnings, that's a, that's a warning sign. I totally agree with you. So I totally why agree. are they telling us the good news now? Why not wait till earnings? Oh, absolutely. And I think that was really right. And I do believe he's a hype artist. I had a terrible experience with him. Uh, I was at a dinner uh, and he was talking about how all the power for the country is going to come from a group of solar panels in the uh, northwest corner of Utah. And I said, that may be very well and good, but it's not going to happen now because of friction. And uh, we have an electric system that is really kind of we're stuck with it. And I hope that there's a transition to that. It's a nice dream. I said, it's a nice dream. And he goes, he looked at me and he said, how do I know that you're not just a hologram? I mean, honestly, I think there's a 50% chance that you're just a hologram. And I was speechless. And I, I said, well, I was just putting up an argument. I mean, no, he goes, no, nah, I think you're a hologram. And that was it. Everyone <laughs> around the table was looking at me. It's like, I didn't know what to say. He's a dirty fighter. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, I thought when you said power, where's, where's the power coming from? I thought you meant human power in the no. sense that, you know, is the power in the hands of Washington, D.C., or is the power in the hands of Silicon Valley? He where... games it. Hmm. I don't like that. He games it. You who, correctly. Who doesn't? Who doesn't game it? You know, Andy Grove, when he started Intel, he certainly didn't game. It was like anti. I, I'm just picking right. him. It's like because he wrote this great book, business book called Only the Paranoid Survive, where he literally just talks about human ingenuity and the need to harness it. And it's a great book. Um, the only the paranoid survive because what he says is the human beings can and should be put under the microscope to deliver and they need to deliver based on their own resources. He had come from Hungary, uh, you know, family victims, Holocaust survivors, and he just kind of just made it. I, it wasn't Ayn Rand. Okay. It was not Ayn Rand. It was 
that uh, people. It was about to- competence. I would because you could look at Anne Rand and say, okay, yeah, she's this arch capitalist, don't care about anybody. But the other way to look at Anne Rand is to say, oh, this is a book about competent people. Yes. Like this is how to be. This is a how-to guide on how to be competent. And many people want to be uncom- incompetent and let the competent people take care of them. That was kind of another way of looking at her thing, and that's what, sort of what that's he's saying. Kind of exactly what I'm saying. And he's one of my idols. You know, he passed away, but. Yeah, I mean, extremely competent, and you want to measure yourself against that. Perfectly but, realistic. But if you look at, like, power distributed in the U.S. among people, like, it seems like the technology companies, they have so much information about each person. They really know everything about us. And I'm not even talking about privacy because that was gone a long time ago. And then you look at, like, the ineffectiveness of D.C., and you wonder, the competence is so, as followed Andy Grove and it's all in Silicon Valley and they're able to kind of take resources from DC a la Tesla with their with being subsidized and and other things and other companies you wonder where does human power kind of lo- where is that located now I it's a great question you know I and the, who controls the SEC for instance is it really Washington DC that doesn't know anything about I it think or the regulators are often captured by the exchanges yeah. you know we were playing with Alexa this weekend asking various questions and uh, at one point, I asked her, uh, we were always asking her to play music. I mean, that's fun, right? But, you know, we we were asking, like, Alexa, who's the better team? Alexa, who's this? And, and sometimes she punts, sometimes she doesn't. And then what we all sat around and said, Alexa, we only we think she's activated only when we say Alexa. Maybe she's activated all the time and she has all this information. And then we all agreed, well, so what? That's just the way it is now. Um, they figured it out. They have all the information. There's nothing we can do about it. They're really convenient and fun. And they're so, probably, it, Alexa's probably listening when you think she's turned off. Uh, and so I say I, she for I, no reason, but. I think she is. Uh, but we sacrifice uh, the uh, the lack of privacy for the, uh, the ease. Yeah. It's with this. Now, when I was out at uh, visiting uh, Google Alphabet, I saw a robot uh, that, uh, was it was it had a robot? It had a hand uh, that was artificial, process, a process, you know, prosthetic device that they were making for the army for people who had lost their limbs. And uh, I said, "Well, how's it working?" He said, "Well, it's great. It knows how to pick up a cup of coffee. It even knows how to let it cool so that the um, the person isn't burned." I said, "How did you program that?" And the woman who was my guide said, "We actually don't know how I figured it." Huh. And I said, well, isn't that Skynet? That's Skynet. That's Skynet. Terminator. And she said, no, we we just didn't know how he did it. And so there are many of us are worried about bigger issues. They're worried about solving these particular problems. And, you know, God love them. There's the, I, but I don't know what, where society is going to go ultimately with these people. And I do know that we should be worrying about jobs and what's going to happen with people who like checkers when we all use our Apple phone to get through or Amazon, whatever, to go to a store and we don't need to check out. Um, what do we do with the 3 million people that are checkers? You don't think, like, look, what did we do with all the people who made horse whipping whips? You know, I think that it's a little different now. One, there's a, I think there's too many people to be able to do that. But also uh, the government has to be involved. And I think when we think about the government, we think about incompetence. And uh, that's a shame. But uh, I, I just fear that um, that there'll be people who are left behind because the educational system is not, the public educational system is not great in our country. Right. And I wish it were better. And if it were better, then I wouldn't be as concerned. 
if you let me, I'm going to give you one piece of advice you should do based on Thank this you. discussion. I think you should write a column, not for thestreet.com or CNBC or any financial publication. Find like Sports Illustrated and write a column for Sports Illustrated. You could tell that they'll let you do it, right? If you call ESPN them up. Would, yeah. ESPN would, they asked me to do some stuff. Just, and, I, and just keep it just to sports. Do, oh my, do 500 so words fun. a week. Just do 500 words a week or every two weeks and just see what it feels like to put, play a new role for the first time in 30 years. I want to do that. And I'm friendly with Adam Schefter. He's a good friend of mine who's a reporter for ESPN. And I'm going to ask him, is there an outlet for me? Yeah. See if there's an outlet. He's totally going to say yes. And you're going to enjoy that more than well, anything right now. Just, You've mentioned sports half this podcast. Well, the Eagles were so <laughs> I know, the Eagles to me. Won. And I have insights that I think are important about what fandom is. Uh, that is, I might do a lot of fantasy football. It's not that. Matthew Burry's great about that. Love but, Matthew Burry. He's been on the podcast. He has? Yeah, yeah. He's a good friend isn't of mine. He, isn't he great? He's amazing. He's a real guy. And he's recognized everywhere. Like, yeah. people say, thank you. I picked your, did your picks. Oh, oh, he's great. His daughter's going to Tulane like my daughter. And I just find him really sweet. He was going to yeah. be the second person I was going to call to say, can I write something? Because he's a big supporter of what I do. And I'm a huge supporter of what he does. Yeah, yeah, So he's I like good. your suggestion, James. Thank you. Well, Jim, thanks so much again for coming on the podcast. I hope did we, I do okay? Did, you did great. And <laughs> come on again. My wife, my wife would say, did you have to ask that? Did you? Were you happy with it? And I say, yeah, but I want my friend to be happy with it too. It's okay. Well, I'm going to tell you also, just spend a tiny bit more time with your wife. <laughs> now, I don't mean to be a therapist. No, you don't need a no, therapist. No, like, we're, we're going away to Tuscany and with no friends. And we're doing that because at my request, I said, I don't spend enough time with you. And she said, then that's what we're going to do. And I only say that because I've lost a marriage for that reason. So, well, you know, I've had, you know, problematic too. Although I have a fabulous relationship with Karen Kramer and I'm thrilled about that. But that's great. But uh, that took a long time too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank, thanks, Jim. Next time on the James Altucher Show. Terrorists function by capturing our imagination turning our imagination against us and causing us to overreact. This is the way terrorism functions. In a way, a terrorist is like a fly that tries to destroy a china shop. The fly is so small and weak, it cannot move in even a single teacup. So how does a fly destroy a china shop? The fly finds a bull, gets into the ear of the bull and starts buzzing, the bull becomes so enraged that it loses its temper and destroys the China shop. This is what happened in the Middle East over the last 15 years. Al-Qaeda could never have destroyed Iraq by itself. It got into the ear of the United States, and the United States went wild and destroyed the Middle Eastern China shop for Al-Qaeda. This is how terrorism functions. And if you want to fight terrorism, you should start with your own imagination. Hey, I am so glad you listened to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It will only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the podcast. And my goal is to share this great content with as many people as possible. To see the show notes, just head on over to jamesaltucher.com slash podcast. 
While you are there, you can join my free insiders list to get notified when I post a new podcast. Every day, I also share my best and most controversial ideas. You won't get this stuff anywhere else. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.